Thank you, guys. Just got to make sure it's not, there's not snow outside. It's in the 80s. Am I still in Ohio? Um, you know, I, it's just starting to make me wonder. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading out of Psalms 127. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Amen? (laughs) I think that's worth saying again. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons or a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at their gate. Lord, bless this word. Multiply it to our hearts today. Help us, Lord, as we just consider what it means to have homes that are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm curious, do you guys have homoramas here? Yeah, is that everywhere they do the homoramas? Okay, just leave me up here. We do, right? (laughs) Terry and I, we like to do the homoramas because, you know, we like to go and look at houses that we know we'll never live in, right? Uh, You you know, you go in the homoramas and they're, you know, 500,000 or they're more than that. They're they're over a million dollars now. I think the home, we went to homorama in 2013 and I don't think there was a home less than a million dollars. They had a home that it had a half-court basketball court built into it. And, you know, I, we didn't need to build a basketball court in our house. We just called it the living room. And, you know, the boys did the same kind of things in there, dribbling balls and all that stuff. But, but we like to go through the homoramas. And, you know, you know sometimes it could be a bit depressing because you see these houses and you realize, you know, this little, this little trick they did in this house with the four staircases won't work in our two-bedroom condo, and uh, so we're not going to be able to do the same things, but model homes or uh, homorama homes are, are fun to go in, but I'm not sure who lives there. <laughs> we like to do open houses, too. Who, li- who does open houses? Let me ask you this, and this is a real personal question. If your neighbor puts their house up for sale and they have an open house, who goes and snoops? Yeah. You know, we, we particularly like the model homes. And, you know, in this transition time, as we've kind of been trying to figure out where we're going to live and, and, and what we're going to eventually buy. We've been doing some model homes here and there. And, you know, I, I like to go through model homes. They're so pretty and clean. And it's just so awesome. You know, everything's just staged perfectly. The furniture looks good. You know, everything's, the walls are painted and clean and and, and it's just, isn't it wonderful to go through model homes? Somebody say amen for me, okay, right? But we don't live in model homes, do we? <laughs> uh, you know, model homes are great to go through, and, and, but we don't live in model homes. I, I think even our normal homes. Uh, you know, when we've got our house, when we was getting our house, it's not our house anymore. When we've got those people that bought our house's house <laughs> up for sale and we, you know, we did the things we need to do. Even when you do, you get your house all spruced up. Even when, when you've got it staged and you've got it cleaned up and, and set up, don't you still see every imperfection that's in your home? <laughs> 
Is anybody else like that? That It can be clean, uh, the walls can be freshly painted, but you see all the imperfections that are there. Uh, Terry's parents live in this beautiful home in Beckett Ridge, and, and when they got rid of all the kids, moved all the kids out of the house, they, they moved into a home that was twice the size of any home they'd ever lived in. I, I couldn't figure that out, but they moved in this monstrosity of a house in Beckett Ridge, and, and, and I was sitting with my father-in-law in this beautiful home in Beckett Ridge, and, and I, you know, I guess I usually don't look up, but I looked up at his lights, and there were two light fixtures um, eyeball light bulbs that were in the, the ceiling pointed towards the fireplace and they had two different colors on them. I said, Jim, you realize you have two different colors on those, you know, one's white, one's gray. He said, yes, it's been like that since we bought the house. They slipped one by me. <laughs> you know, all of us have imperfections, things that, that don't quite fit in our homes. Sometimes we hide our imperfections in our homes. When uh, mom and dad built a um, five-bedroom house uh, in, in Connorsville, and they, they built this house, and, and we'd been in this house maybe one month, and my older brother, Virgil, uh, was wrestling with my second brother, Danny, and stuck his rear end right through a wall. And we did what everyone does. We didn't fix the drywall. We just hung a mirror, Right? You know, sometimes we hide the imperfections in our homes, but, but we are aware that they're there. Uh, the house may be clean, everything may be set, to, set together perfectly, but, but we're aware of the cracks in the drywall. We're aware of the places where we painted and the paint ran a little bit. We're aware of the stains in the carpet. We're aware of the runs in the carpet. No one lives in a model home, and that's a good time to say amen. You know, nobody lives in a model home, and truthfully, nobody has model families. Um, Chevy Chase had those series of movies, the vacation movies, and, uh, you know, he always had that perfect vacation in mind. Anybody ever have a perfect vacation? (laughs) You know, there's always something, you know, he had in his mind what would happen and, and it never worked out exactly how he, want, how he envisioned it. You know, and he, and he does that the, the Christmas vacation and he's got that perfect vacation, Christmas vacation, and it never works out quite like that. And that's been the case in my life. I grew up watching, and none of you will even understand what I'm talking about. Leave it to Beaver. Who watched Leave it to Beaver? All right. June Cleaver cleaned the house with pearls on. Have you ever thought about that? You know, that this perfect family, you know, Wally and, and the Beeve had a few squabbles here and there, but, but for the most part, you know, it, there, there was not huge conflict. Do you remember their friend, Eddie Haskell? I got to tell you, my family felt more like the Haskells than the Cleavers. You know, we, we didn't have... A model family. Everything wasn't perfect. We live in ordinary homes with ordinary families. Sometimes we have, and I know, this is unbelievable. Sometimes even in the pastor's home, we have conflict. Now, conflict's what you say from the platform when you're preaching, but probably fighting is probably the better word, right? 
You know, every once in a while, we'll have conflict, or Terry and I will have a spat. Like, every, every 10 years, she'll be wrong about something, and we'll have to fight it out. You know, we have conflict, we have stress, we, we have mistakes, we have missteps. There's problems that we have in our homes, every one of us. No one lives in a perfect home, in a model home, with perfect families. None of you ladies, if you are, raise your hand. None of you ladies are vacuuming your, your, your I was going to say lawn, <laughs> your living room with pearls on. We all have ordinary homes. And the good news is this. God uses ordinary people and ordinary families. If you're ordinary, if you have all the problems of life, the normal problems of life, if your family is like that, I've got good news for you this morning on this Mother's Day Sunday. You don't have to live in a model home for God to use your home for his glory. Now, there's all sorts of stories in the Bible that that reflect this. 1 Samuel has the story of, of two women. Elkanah has two wives. And I could stop the story right there and say there's problems in this home, right? Elkanah has two wives, and you've got to ask why. (laughs) i I got to tell you, as your pastor, you'll never hear that story because I can't hardly please one wife, let alone two wives. Hannah? (laughs) Was that Terry? (laughs) No, okay. I'm surprised Terry wasn't running, shouting, and raving her hanky. Hannah and Penea. Penea uh, has kids, and Hannah can't. Elkanah asks her, he says, now, <laughs> I love this scripture, because there's no answer to it in the Bible. He goes, aren't I enough for you? <laughs> and she doesn't say yes. Uh, man, I, I would challenge you, don't ever ask your wife that question. Aren't I enough for you? And Hannah is wanting a child, and, and so they go to the, to the place of the temple of the Lord. The, the scripture actually uses the phrase, the temple of the Lord, but the temple's not there, so it must be the tabernacle, and Eli is ministering on behalf of, of God's people at the temple, and Hannah's brokenhearted, and Hannah's wanting a child, and, and so she's at the temple, and she's praying, and, and she's so distraught, that there's not even words coming out of her mouth. Anybody ever been there? Where where you don't even know what to say. And you're just basically weeping before the Lord. That's what Hannah's doing. Hannah's weeping before the Lord, and and her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. And Eli, this great priest with great discernment, (laughs) looks at her and says, Why are you so drunk so early in the morning? In other words, he sees this poor, distraught woman at the altars praying, and he questions her motives. She tells him what's going on. You know, I'm winning a child. If I have a child, I'll give it to the Lord. And, and, and as I thought on this Mother's Day, Sunday, I, I think of all the things that Hannah's going through. And the reality is, if, if you're a mother, if you're a parent, if you're a human, <laughs> some of these things are part of your life. There's disappointment. There's, um, uh, there, there's misunderstanding. Anybody ever been misunderstood? 
there's, there's all these things that mistreated, she's being mistreated, she's, she's disappointed, she's misunderstood. All of these things are in the life of Hannah. And she's needing God to move. And she's willing to give this child completely to God. If God gives her a child, she'll give him to Eli. She'll give him to God. She'll give him to the temple. She'll give him to God's people. Sure enough, after she leaves, she becomes expecting. And just as she promises, after the child is weaned, she takes Samuel... This great prophet, this judge who becomes this priest, she takes him back and gives him to Eli. They have all this disappointment and mistreatment and misunderstanding. And yet at the end of it, we find in 1 Samuel 3, 19-21, this little blurb about Samuel. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. and He let none of his words fall to the ground And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel was born not in this model home, but he was born in the midst of this home where there was conflict, where there was disappointment, where there was misunderstanding. And yet from this home, God produced Samuel, who in a lot of ways is unique. Because Samuel operates as prophet, Samuel operates as judge, Samuel operates as priest. And, and really there's, there's very few people that, that in the Bible that fit all the characteristics and all the leadership roles that Samuel fulfilled. There's a simple principle I want us to see this morning. And I think this simple principle applies to every area of your life. Whatever you're going through today, I believe this simple principle can apply to your life. God can bless what we give him. Your work's chaotic. Your work's a disappointment. You're misunderstood at work. Things aren't going according to your plans. I believe, according to Scripture, God can bless your work even in the midst of those circumstances if you completely give them to Him. Your marriage, it's not going as expected and you're disappointed or you feel misunderstood or you feel there's conflict and it's it's just not what you thought it would be. God can bless what you give to Him. Your, your kids are out of control. You know, they're not living exactly how you want them to live. It's just not working out how you planned. God can bless what we give to him. Now, some of you are tempted to drop your kids off at the church next week. That's not the purpose of the sermon, okay? Kim has a two-bedroom apartment. I don't think they could all live with her. So so there's something more than just dropping your kids off at the church. It's not just about, as a matter of fact, folks, I I would say, and and this is in my notes, too often 
we've been guilty of dropping our kids off at church and expecting the church to do the work of mom and dad, okay? Uh, I believe godly parents raise godly kids, and the church assists us in doing that. And so I think the primary role, the primary person that's going to raise these godly kids are godly parents. And I believe in special circumstances, God has other folks that step in. But folks, your kids, you're not to drop them off and expect the church to do your work. Boy, I thought I'd get an amen there. That's good preaching. And it's true. Josh has a role in your kid's life. But, but Josh can't be godly mom and dad. Kim has a role, but Kim cannot be godly mom and dad. If you want godly kids, be a godly parent. If you want kids that are dedicated to God, be dedicated to God. God can bless what we give him. Now, I want to be careful here. You know, it's Mother's Day, and we're thinking about our kids. We don't make every decision for our kids. Amen? Man, I've got an 18 and 21-year-old, and trust me, I know, I don't make every decision for my kids, or they would have made some different decisions in their life. You know, our kids have three wills. And it's possible that you could have submitted and dedicated and done all the things that you, you should have done to raise them in the way that they could, should go. And yet, in their freedom, in their free will, they, they make a decision to go the complete opposite of what you invested in them. You've placed the right boundaries. You've, you've, you've taken them to church. You've done devotions with them. You've prayed with them. And yet, they've went on their own. It's possible. Even in that circumstance, can I, can I tell you something? Even if you're living in a circumstance where your kids have went out on their own, you can still, even now, give them to God because God can bless what we give to him. So, how do we apply this? I've got several little things that I, that I think would be helpful to us today. The first is this. Pursue God, not the perfect home. <laughs> you know, I, I think too often in our life, we're, we're more concerned about how clean our living room is <laughs> than, than the pursuit of God. That, that, that somehow, we, we've got all these plans of, of where our kids are going to be educationally and physically and athletically and financially. And, and, and we've got all these plans of what their perfect life will look like. And at the end of the road, what, what they will be able to do and how they'll be able to live. And, and, and you know, there, there's this ideal of the perfect home and the perfect family and the perfect direction. And, and we focus so much on that that we miss what really matters. It's like Martha and Mary. Mar- Mar- Martha's just like working, her, 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 working like crazy. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> Can I give you just a little bit of advice? If the living room's a little bit crooked, <laughs> if the living room's not as clean, and you're taking some time to talk about God with your kids, 
That's okay. You know, if supper is not exactly what, if you have in your mind this, this great meal and, and the food is perfect, but, but the relationship has not been, you've spent no time in the relationship, I think I would let go of the perfect meal for the pursuit of God. What do you think? Live the word. Don't preach the word. Or don't just preach the word. You know what kids see through? Inconsistency. If if there's expectations in their life that you don't fulfill, you do more damage than good by preaching those expectations. Do you, you realize that, right? Your kids see through it when we have one level of expectation for them. And yet we live at another level. Um, Forgiveness. You've got to forgive your brother. (laughs) And yet they see you in conflict with an attitude that doesn't forgive anyone else. You know, financial restraint. You know, you you, you can't spend your money like crazy. And yet you spend your money like crazy. (laughs) Don't preach what you cannot live. My, um, my father-in-law, before he was saved, he was, he was really concerned about my, my brother-in-law, Roger, and getting him in church. And, and Jim was constantly saying, oh, Paul, can you guys do this? And can you do that? And can you invite them? And, and one day I said, Jim, you know what would be the best thing for Roger finding God? He said, what? I said, won't you find God? <laughs> Why don't you start going to church? Why don't you start pursuing God? And Jim said, that's not fair. (laughs) You know, folks, sometimes it's just simply not fair. If you want your kids to be godly, you be godly. Uh, There's a a simple principle that that I believe is true. Do you realize you can't give what you don't got? (laughs) Uh, I, I think that's true. Like, I can't give Joe Case's car to someone else, right? I I can only give what I possess. And I think what I'm trying to say here is this. If you want kids who are pursuing God, then be a God-pursuer yourself. Make that the number one priority of your life. Thirdly, embrace shortcomings as an opportunity to rely on God. It's easy to hide these things, to mask these things, to move on past these things, to ignore these things, to, to avoid these things, to say they're not there. But I tend to think that when there's shortcomings in our family, when there's sins, when, when, when we mess up, maybe the best thing to do is just say, man, I messed up, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, have you ever, anybody ever apologized to your kids? Now Spencer will say I never have, but I have. You ever apologize to your wife? You ever say, you know, I was wrong. Let's try that together. I know that's hard to say. So let's work on it. This is just joint. This is not to anybody. So can you say I was wrong with me? One, two, three. I was wrong. (laughs) See, it's an opportunity to teach 
humility, brokenness, a reliance upon God. Finally, love always. Love always. I, I, I wrote this down first, when all else fails, love. <laughs> but I thought that's not sufficient. When everything's going right, love. When everything's going bad, love. Love always. Peter says it like this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Mom, dad, kids, brother, sister, uh, fellow congregation member, church member, love each other. Love your kids as if you're the only person that's going to love them. Because in the world, oftentimes, that's what happens. <laughs> love your kids. Love your spouse. Love each other. And, and, you know, as I think about this as the family of God, love each other. You know, love's a choice we make, and it's an investment in the life of someone else. And you can choose to love your family in all circumstances, in all sorts of ways, in, in practical ways, in spending time, in listening, in praying for them, and even in disciplining them. Love always. Stay with me for a second. Is Amy here? Can you come and just play? As I, I think about this Mother's Day sermon and this Mother's Day and you know, the ideal of submitting to God and submitting our jobs and submitting our families and submitting all of our life to God, uh, I think it's always appropriate to provide a place and a time to pray if you so would like to do that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe your kids are out <laughs> Maybe you look back at your, your family life and, and the past and, and there's regrets. And, you know, all, we all make mistakes in the raising of our kids. We do. Uh, except for me, Spencer. I'm perfect. <laughs> no, I'm not. Man, there's times I've just blown it. You have said things, I've done things that when I look back, I think, man, that wasn't right. Um, God can bless what you're giving. And I think as we close, we got five minutes till service close. I think maybe this would be a good time just to come and submit your kids once again to God. Submit your jobs, submit your families. Last night when I was at the hospital, um, you know, Jim was there. He was talking. You know, he was some pain, but he was there. And, and then just like a light switch. And it just started making me think. And I don't preach this way all the time. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but folks, life's fragile. It is. And I've sat in too many waiting rooms in hospitals. And I've been there too many times when people have went from life to death. Not just share this with you this morning. Life is fragile. It's like the flipping of a switch. 
You know, you'll be at church with somebody on a Sunday and everything will be fine. And then the next Sunday you'll come in and they're gone. I don't know why God's had me say that today, but I just kind of feel like we need to respond to him today. And it's possible. Um, it's possible that God's just calling you to be more urgent about your relationship with him because life's too fragile not to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to kneel myself for a few seconds and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe you want to bring your families. Maybe, maybe you need to bring yourself. And it's not about your kids, but it's, a, it's about you. And you just need to submit yourself to God. So we're going to wait just for a few minutes. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to lead us in prayer. The words of those song, that song is, um, that's where I'm at right now. Lord, I need you. I need you in every part of my life. And and just to serve you with the effectiveness and the power and the way that I want to serve you, I need your Holy Spirit. I am relying on your grace, on your mercy to lead me through. I need you. And Lord, when I cannot stand, I'm going to fall on you. Lord, we, we all have things in our past that we look back and we wish we could do different. And truthfully, we have no control over our past. But we have a choice to make in our present. What will we do with you? What will we trust you? Will we, will we rely on you? Will we allow you to mold us and mold our families? Or we do it in our own way, in our own power. Lord, I've tried both. And what I've found is as I submit myself to you and submit my family to you and submit my, my job and my church and every part of my life to you, as I live my life as a living sacrifice on your altar, somehow your Holy Spirit can transform and change. Not just a, a mask or not just on the outside, Lord, but you offer change from the inside out. Where our motives and our will, our desires, begin to be molded by your Holy Spirit. And that's a pretty good way to live. So help us now, Lord, to let go of ourselves, to place ourselves on your altar, and in doing so, finding real life. Lord, I pray for our kids. Some are here, some aren't. Some are grown, some are little. Lord, we all love them. And we wish the best for them and want the best for them. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us as the people of God. Not only to rely upon you, but Lord, to move and live in such a way that our kids see Christ in us. Help us now, Lord. Be with us. Keep us. Draw us. 
And Lord, as we leave this place, may we realize, may we understand that this is just the beginning. That, that the real work of being a Christian, of being someone who is sold out and committed to, to God, is not in a church service, but it's in the reality of day-to-day life. As we sit down to lunch with our kids, with our friends, with our spouses, this is when we get to practice what it means to be a Christian. To love each other, to love you fully. So help us now, Lord, to go as your instruments. To go as ordinary people following Jesus. Loving as we go. Loving you and loving others. And Lord, may we, as we leave this building, be poured out for you. Not so that we receive the glory, but so that they see our Father in heaven and they give him the glory. Now, Lord, I give you praise. I give you thanks. Thank you for every person who has invested in me. Help me to live a life that gives honor to what has been placed in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.